outrageous grace. I mean, what more could you say than the outrageous grace and goodness of our God? And we're going to continue today. We're going to look at uh, chapter 23 of Luke's Gospel. And we're going to read from verse 1. Uh, I'm going to read a few verses and then we're going to just trust the Lord to really take us through that all of us might really um, be impacted by the Holy Spirit this morning. Have a, we might, might connect with God this morning even in a fresh and a new way. You'll see that our title is He Loves You. And I think that's a really important thing for all of us to remember because it's important that we remember that He loves us. He loves you and he loves me and we need to remember that because there's power in knowing that we are loved by the Son of God. So let's just read a few verses then from Luke chapter 23. Then the whole multitude of them arose and led Jesus to Pilate. You'll remember that last week we saw that Jesus had been betrayed by Judas in the garden. Then he had been denied by Peter and they'd taken Jesus to the house of Caiaphas, the high priest. This is now the following morning. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nations and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. Did you notice how they twisted the words of what actually happened? Did you notice that in the song we sung, we talked about there's an enemy who twists and turns. We need to know that the enemy twists and turns our words and tries to harm us through words and tries to bring us under his control and his domination. Here they were, they were basically twisting what Jesus had said in the marketplace. Verse 3, then Philip asked them, saying, asked him saying, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered him and said, it is as you say. So Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowd, I find no fault in this man. But they were the more fierce, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee to this place. When Pilate heard of Galilee, he asked if the man were a Galilean. And as soon as he knew that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. Now, when Herod saw Jesus, he was exceedingly glad, for he had desired for a long time to see him, because he had heard many things about him, and he hoped to see some miracle done by him. Then Herod questioned him with many words, but he, Jesus answered him nothing. And the chief priests and the scribes stood and vehemently accused Jesus. Then Herod, with his men of war, treated him with contempt and mocked him, arrayed him in a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. That very day, Pilate and Herod became friends with each other, for previously they had been at enmity with each other. Verse 13, then Pilate, when he had called together the chief priests, the rulers and the people, said to them, you have brought this man to me as one who misleads the people. And indeed, having examined him in your presence, I have found no fault in this man concerning those things of which you accuse him. No, neither did Herod, for I sent uh, you back to him. And indeed, nothing deserving of death has been done by him. I will therefore chastise him and release him, for it was necessary for Pilate to release one of them at the feast. And they all cried out at once, saying, Away with this man, and release to us Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for a certain rebellion made in the city, and for murder. Did you notice that they, that they preferred a man who had been rebellious and had actually committed murder, that they preferred for him to be released instead of Jesus? 
Pilate, therefore, wishing to release Jesus again, called out to them, but they shouted, saying, Crucify him, crucify him. Then he said to them the third time, Why, what evil has he done? I have found no reason for death in him. I will therefore chastise him and let him go. But they were insistent, demanding with loud voices that he would be crucified, and the voices of these men and of the chief priests prevailed. So Pilate gave the sentence that it should be as they requested. And he released to them the one that they requested. Doesn't humanity always choose and request the wrong thing and the wrong person? They chose the one who for rebellion and murder had been, had been thrown into prison. But Pilate delivered Jesus to their will. Now as they led him away, they laid hold on a certain man, Simon, who was coming out of the country that he might bear the cross for Jesus. I just think as we read those verses that we need to stop for a moment and we need to remember the cost of our redemption. And we need to remember that there was one, the Son of God, who was willing to go the whole way to the cross for you and for me. Is that not love? Surely that is love. And we're going to just look at how Jesus was not only betrayed and denied and questioned by these political and these religious leaders, but we're going to see that they found him they found him, they, Pilate, it says, examined him. Reminds me of the Passover lamb. It had to be examined to see if there was any fault in it. It had to be holy without blemish. Jesus was the fulfillment of the Old Testament Passover lamb. And he was examined and found to be without fault. He was the sinless and spotless son of God, according to the word of God. And then we're told that Pilate listened and gave him into the hands of the people. Some of the other Gospels tell us that, that Pilate ordered for him to be scourged, and many, many men died under the scourging. Scourging in itself was enough to kill a man. Scourging was when they took the cat of nine tails, which was a whip with, with long um, piece, leather thongs, with, with heavy pieces of iron twisted at the end of those and they, the Roman soldiers were extremely skilled and practiced at, at not only whipping the back of, of a criminal but of twisting the twisting the, the, the lash so that it tore down and the, and the iron pieces cut into the back. They were experts at doing a job. No wonder the prophecy said that his, his back was as a proud ploughed field. I mean, Mel Gibson did a fairly good job in some ways with that movie and it rocked the world and the world was shocked. But actually it was nothing compared to the sufferings of, of what Jesus went through for you and for me because he loved you and he loved me. Before he even got to the cross, he was already bleeding and his back was ripped to pieces. And they mocked him and they spat on him. And they put the, the crown of thorns upon his head. We believe those thorns were really, really few inches deep. And they, they pierced it. They pushed it down on his head. And then they took the reed and they hammered it on his head. And the, 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 the nerve endings around his head would have been touched. The pain, the excruciating pain that Jesus felt before he even got to the cross. And he did it for love for you and for me. 
And we need to remember this, guys, because it's so easy to be glib about it and to read through these scriptures and for it not actually to touch us because we've read them so often. But we need to remember it was outrageous grace. It was God. It was God showing his love to humanity. It was God displaying his goodness and his love towards us. He sent his only beloved son to go to the cross for you and for me because he loved us. They mocked him. They spat on him. They struck him. They plucked the very beard out of his face. They blindfolded him and slapped him and and asked him, now tell us who slapped you. They were cruel. There was a cruelty about the cross. And Jesus was crucified for you and for me. And we're told that there was two other criminals that were laid out with him to be put to death. It tells us in, in, in Luke chapter 23, verse 32, there were also two other criminals laid with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. You see, Isaiah 53 had not only given a graphic description prophetically as to what Jesus would do, that he'd be a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, that he would be wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. Not only did the prophet Isaiah give those details of his suffering, but actually he had also slipped a little prophecy in that he would be with the that he will be with those the wicked in his death. Let me just read it to you. Isaiah uh, chapter 53. I was reading it this morning and I was just remembering how accurate the prophecies are. It says, For the transgression of my people, he was stricken and he made his grave with the wicked. It also tells us that he would be with the rich in his death, and we know we'll be coming to that shortly, her, the rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, fulfilled that prophecy. Do you know the prophecies that have been fulfilled? A few weeks ago, I, I was annoyed because I'd left something behind, and this week I thought, you know, I'm going to make sure I bring it with me this week, because it's just a little something about the prophetic that you need to hear. Scholars believe that there are more than 300 prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament. These prophecies are specifically are specific enough that the mathematical probability of Jesus fulfilling even a, even a handful of them, let alone all of them, is staggeringly improbable, if not impossible. Peter Stoner, chairman of the departments of mathematics and, and astronomy at Pasadena College, was passionate about Bible prophecies. With, 6, 000, with 600 students from the InterVarsity Christian Fellowship, Stoner looked at eight specific prophecies about Jesus. They came up with extremely conservative prob- probabilities for each one being fulfilled and then considered the likelihood of Jesus fulfilling all eight of those prophecies. The conclusion to his research was staggering. The prospect that anyone would satisfy those eight prophecies was just one in 1017. In Science Speaks, he des- that's a magazine, I presume. He, he described it like this. Let us try to visualize this. If you mark one of 10 tickets and place all of the tickets in a hat and thoroughly stir them and then ask a blindfolded man to draw one, his chances of getting his right ticket is one in 10. Suppose that we take 1,017 silver dollars and lay each of them on the face of Texas. They will cover all of the state two feet deep. 
Now mark one of these silver dollars and stir the whole mass thoroughly all over the state. Blindfold a man and tell him that he can travel as far as he wishes, but he must pick up one silver dollar and say that this is the right one. What chance would he have of getting the right one? Just the same chance that the prophets would have had of writing these eight prophecies, let alone the 300, and having them all come true in any one man from their day to the present time. There are still prophecies that Jesus has to fulfill. And just as he fulfilled the ones he has fulfilled, he's going to fulfill the others that we're still waiting for. We have a God who is accurate. We have a God who is faithful. And we have a God who speaks. Jesus was crucified. It tells us that these thieves at the beginning, both of them, riled upon Jesus. It says that the one on the left and the one on the right, that they both of them mocked him at the beginning. And, and they actually shouted out to Jesus, why don't you save yourself and save us as well? They were mocking him. Save yourself and save us. But you know what? They didn't realise that it was impossible for Jesus to save himself if he was going to save us. Because only he was the spotless, perfect lamb of God. Only he could take away the sin of the world. Only he could set you free. Only he could love you enough and go to the cross and do enough for you that would, that would ensure you of a, of a place in heaven and a, a relationship restored with the Father and a future in the kingdom of God. Only he could do that. Why? Because he loved you. And you need to realise that. He couldn't save himself if he was going to save you. And you know, somewhere along the line, we know that one of those thieves turned to Jesus and, 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 and spoke to him and actually said, this man has done no wrong. And we know that he turned to Jesus and we know that he found forgiveness. We're going to come to that shortly. So we found that Jesus was betrayed, he was denied, he was questioned and examined by the political leaders and, and, and the religious leaders. He was crucified. And according to John's Gospel, he spoke to his mother and handed her over to the care of John, the beloved disciple, before the end come. We haven't time to read that, but you can read it in John chapter 19. I mean, in the midst of it all, he, he was taking care of his mother in the midst of it all. He was making sure that John, the, the one who leaned on his breast, probably the youngest of the disciples, was going to look after his mother. I just love that. I just love that tenderness and that thoughtfulness that we see in the Saviour, even as he is on the cross and suffering excruciating pain, barely able to breathe as he would have to push himself up to get breath. And the pain of doing that with the excruciating pain and all the nerve endings that were, that were affected by the nails that were just going through the nerve points in his, in his hands and in his feet. And, and, and as he was trying to breathe, where he'd have to push himself up, and in the midst of that, he, he's making sure his mother's all right. The Son of God, the one who is the perfect son. What must Mary have experienced in raising that boy? What must she have experienced to have seen him running around and playing, to have experienced his love and his thoughtfulness? That was something different than any other human being had ever shown this earth. What must Mary have experienced? She knew from he was born 
that she would suffer, that a, 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 a sword would go through her side, that she would suffer pain as he suffered pain. Mary knew tremendous pain, but she also experienced tremendous privilege to know this son and to rear him for God. What a privilege for Mary. And then for three hours, there was darkness over all the earth. We know that somewhere during that time that he cried out in fulfillment of Psalm 22, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What was happening? I'll tell you what was happening. God, his father, had to turn his back on sin because Jesus became sin for you and for me. I know that's a mystery. But this was what was breaking his heart because he was facing his father, his lovely father. He was facing him as God, my God. He had to come with our sin and he had to take our judgment before his holy father. And we will never know, we will never know the pain and the cost that, that, that he endured as he did that. And during those hours of darkness, we know that the temple curtain was torn in two. Don't you just love it? The way it was opened up, all those centuries of bringing blood sacrifices and having to, having to go once a year with the high priest who could only go into the holy place once a year. And, and now the curtain from the top to the bottom torn from heaven downwards to open up the way that we could go in and that God could come and meet us and embrace us in a way that was never before possible. What a wonderful thing that he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The presence to God was opened. The price of redemption had been paid and Jesus, knowing that his mission was completed, knowing he had accomplished what he set out to do, he cried those amazing words. And actually in the Hebrew, it's only one word, finished. He finished it completely. And, and Philip was here on Sunday morning and he reminded us that it was finished on the cross. He didn't have to go down into Hades and fight the devil to win it. He won it on the cross by the power of his blood and his perfect sacrifice. The power of the cross. What an amazing moment of victory. And as he cried out, finished, the next thing that he said was, into thy hands I commend my spirit or I commit my spirit. Do you know what I just realised over the last couple of days? That back in the days, in the biblical times, that Jewish children were taught from, they were very, very young, they were taught a verse from Psalm 31, verse 5. And what was the verse? Commend, I commit unto him. And actually, I'm not reading, I'm not reading, I'm going to read it to you because I'm going to misquote it. Psalm 31, verse 5, it says, Into your hands I commit my spirit. And Jewish children, apparently in Jesus' day, I just realised this week, that they were taught this, this verse as infants. Into your hand I commit my spirit. Isn't it amazing that Mary might have taught that prayer to Jesus? as a baby, as an infant. Imagine the word of God, he was full of, he was the word. 
but he became a man and he had to learn just like every other human being. And isn't it amazing that Mary may have t- would have taught him, she would have taught him that, vo- that verse. And, and on the cross, in his last moments, he uses scripture and he uses that verse. It was a verse that Jewish children were taught that they wouldn't be afraid. It was a prayer of faith that they were taught that they could commit themselves into the hands of God. And here in his last breath, Jesus says, into your hands I commit my spirit. He was fulfilling the scriptures. He was fulfilling what had been prophesied. And then, of course, we know that he was taken down from the cross by Joseph. We know that Joseph of Arimathea was a rich man. We haven't time to read all the scriptures, but we know that he was a rich man. And we know that, that, that Joseph went. He was one of the Sanhedrin. He, he was a follower of Jesus. The Bible clearly says he wasn't consenting to what had happened. And he went to Pilate and he, he came out into the light and he went to Pilate and he begged for the body of Jesus that he might take him down from the cross. You know, often I try to visualise what it must have been like for, 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 to see Joseph and Nicodemus with him. Remember Nicodemus was the one who came secretly to Jesus at night time. Well, now he's stepping out into the open to be a disciple. Don't you just love it? That that encounter that Jesus had with him in John chapter 3, that he had come right through. He had come right through to faith, obviously looking on and seeing what had happened on the cross. Both of these men were convinced this was the Son of God. And, and they, 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 they went, I often picture them going, the two of them, and taking down the body. What that must have been like to have taken the Son of God down from the cross. What a privilege. And as the body dropped into their arms, they would have tenderly laid him down on the ground and wrapped him in the spices and the anointing stuff that the spices that Nicodemus brought to wrap his body. And then they tenderly laid him into the new tomb. All of this in fulfilment of prophecy. But you see, the disciples, the disciples had kind of scattered whenever Jesus had been arrested. Some of them were round, round the cross. But there was a lot of confusion and a lot of chaos. And there was a lot of not understanding because many of them hadn't fully understood really what Jesus was going to, to do. They hadn't fully understood that, that he was going to die. And so for the next, for the, for the, for the Saturday coming into the Sunday, they, they would have been all confused and perplexed just the way you and I are sometimes. Whenever something bad happens and we're, we're, we're trying to grapple with faith to, to, to believe that God's going to take us through. You know, you need to remember the third day. You need to remember that Jesus keeps his promises. And you might have to go through a Saturday, but he will take you through. And on the third day, Jesus was resurrected. And you see, during his lifetime ministry, we know that there were many women who followed him. I just love the fact that women were attracted to Jesus. And they followed him. And, and so it wasn't unusual that, that some of them would have come very early in the morning, it tells us, according to John 20. And we're going to look, turn to John 20 in a moment. But it says that very early in the morning, it says that they came early to the garden. They came with their love, because they loved Jesus. And they came with the intention of anointing him. But you know what, ladies? They were too late. They were too late. Because not only had, had Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus already put the spices around him and wrapped him and put him into the tomb, but there was one person, one person who had been in time. 
There was one person who had heard the heartbeat of Jesus when his disciples weren't getting it, and that was Mary of Bethany. And if you look into Matthew Gospel chapter 26, you will read the beautiful story of how she came that week before he went to the cross, she came and she came with what all the best that she had. She came with that precious, very, very expensive box of ointment as described. Spikenard, which would have cost a fortune, probably all her savings. And because she loved Jesus and because she connected and heard his heart and she was listening in a way that, that the disciples don't seem to have been listening or comprehended and she goes to his feet to remember and she breaks the box. She breaks the best that she has over him out of love and devotion to him. No wonder he was so touched that he said from, for, the, for the rest of time, so long as the gospel would be preached, what Mary did would be remembered because what she did was that she entered into his sufferings. He felt her empathy. He felt her love. He felt that she understood something that he was going through. She couldn't understand it all, but he felt that she was perhaps the only one who was really getting it. Not even Mary Magdalene got it, but Mary of Bethany got it. And she'd already, she'd already poured all she had over him. Do you know what, ladies? I think it's so important that we give him all we've got here and now. That we don't miss the opportunity until it's too late. It's so important to give him everything. It's so important to break the things that we would try to hold on to. Let's just break them over him in devotion. Let's please him. Let's, and you know, that week... He would have been carrying the fragrance of that anointing. It would have lasted on his body. Apparently the smell of that kind of, of spikenard would have lasted for a long, long time. Jesus would have been carrying the fragrance of that anointing right to the cross and probably was still in his body after he died. But you know what? Mary was carrying the same anointing. Because she, do you remember? She bowed down and she dried his feet with her hair. I'll tell you, she was carrying the fragrance of Christ that week and beyond. Do you know, it's so important that we give him our best. It's so important that we, that we worship him and that we worship him in love. And so we see that, that Jesus had risen from the dead and these women are in the garden. Now I want to I wanna tell you some stuff and this is... <coughs> This is, this is something that I'm going to start to tell you now that I believe. I'm not saying that everybody believes this, but this is my personal take, and I'm going to tell you the scriptures that I believe for this. But I really want you to get this because there's a purpose that I'm telling you this. Because these women came to the grave, and uh, initially there was a number of women. There's a lot of confusion around it if you look at all the different, which is very normal because if a, if a newspaper reporter goes to, to do a report on an, on an accident, it, they tell me that, that two or three different reporters can all get different takes from it. And you'll see that on the news often that they get different takes. It's so authentic because you can see the toing and froing as you, as you read through all the Gospels. But I want to just take you through a little journey now as we just, as we just look at this garden experience. Because I would love today that we could have a garden experience with God. I would love we could have a personal encounter with God. Because these women, a few of them, apparently there was Joanna and, and Mary and, and a few others. Uh, and uh, uh, and they arrived early in the, to the garden. 
They looked and they didn't see that Jesus was there. They'd come prepared with all these spices, but they were too late. And they were really perplexed. And, and, and then it says that two angels came and asked them, this, asked them this question, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Here's what the angels said. He is not here. He is risen. Remember, he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee. He spoke to you about his death and his resurrection. At that point, it seems, I'm going to turn to John chapter 20, because I really want, I really want to just home in on this. Let me just read it to you, because it says it better than I could. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Then she ran and came to Simon Peter and the other disciples whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have led him. Peter therefore went out and the other disciple and were, uh, and were going to the tomb. So they both ran together, that's, that's uh, Peter and John, and, and the other disciple, that's, that's John, outran Peter. Now I'm guessing that, that the other disciple, that's John, he outran Peter because he was a younger man. Remember that John was the one who lived to be the oldest. He wrote the book of Revelation. All the rest of the disciples had died. So it would seem that, that he probably was the fittest and the youngest. And he arrived first and he says that he stooping down looked in and saw the linen cloth lying there yet he did not go in then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the handkerchief that had been around Jesus head not lying with the linen cloth but folded together in a place by itself so, Pilate, so Peter being Peter went right in then the other disciples who came to the tomb first went in also and, and he saw and believed. That was John. For as yet they did not know the scripture that Jesus must rise again from the dead. Now I want you to get this verse 10 of, of chapter of John 20. Then the disciples went away again to their own homes. So do you get it? A number of women must have come to the tomb first of all. Didn't see the body. Angels appeared to them and then they ran off and it seems that they told John and Peter what had happened. Peter and John ran back and it would seem that Mary must have followed behind and gone back with them. And then in the garden, after Peter and John had both looked in, the, both seen what had happened, they left the garden, but Mary was left alone. And this is the bit that I really want to get to. It says in verse 11, But Mary stood outside by the tomb weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting, one at the head and the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. Then they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have led him. Now when he had said this, she turned around, and she saw Jesus standing there, and did not know that it was Jesus. Remember, he was in a resurrected body. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Mary, supposing Jesus to be the gardener, said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have led him, and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him, Rabboni, which is to say, Teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me. Please listen to this verse. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. 
But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my father and your father and to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene came and told the disciples that she had seen the Lord and that he had spoken these things to her. I'd love you to get this picture that Mary is deeply distressed in the garden. She's distraught. She's devastated. Now you must remember that Mary had been delivered of seven demons. And I'm guessing that she was so deeply distraught, not only for her love of Jesus because she loved him, but I believe also, in my heart I believe, she would have been distressed because I'm thinking there must have been some little fear in her mind. Were these demons going to come back? Now that Jesus wasn't with her anymore, was there a possibility that she could go back, that she'd be overtaken again? Was there something going on in her head? I don't know for sure. It doesn't tell us that, that she was afraid, but, but, but it does tell us that she was weeping and weeping and, and, and really in an agony and in a desperation. Do you catch the desperation to get the body of Jesus? I think there was something in Mary that she just felt, if I had his body, I'd be all right. If I could just hold on to his body, I would know he was with me and I would know he's okay. That's the way that I'm thinking. It doesn't say that, but that's what I read out of this, that she was distressed and she was desperate to see. Don't you hear the, the, when, she, when she looked and the angel spoke to her and then she turned around and saw Jesus, whom she didn't initially recognize and thought he was the gardener. Don't you hear the distress in her voice and the desperation? Please, sir, if you know where he is, tell me where he is so that I can go and get him. How was she going to lift a body, a man's body? There was a desperation about Mary. You know, as soon as she said to the Lord, please, Show me where he is that I might take away his body. Did you notice that Jesus spoke one word? He spoke her name. And right now, whatever's going on in your life, whatever concerns or worries or anxieties or fears, whatever you feel is, is troubling you at the moment, I would love you to know right now that he's speaking your name. Right now that he's saying, Julie, Marion, Joyce, Corrine, Jill. I'd love you to know that he speaks your name because he wants you to get a fresh look at him. And he wants you to understand, Ethel, he loves you. He wants you to get a fresh look at him and see how much he loves you. As soon as he spoke her name, she turned and she said, Rabboni, Rabboni, which is the same master, teacher, rabbi, the one who had taught her so much. Now, did you notice that I read twice that verse that said, how Jesus said to Mary, don't cling to me because I have yet to ascend to my Father. Now, this is the bit where I'm going to go out in a bit of a limb here. I'm going to tell you what I believe according to Scripture, and I'm going to show you the Scriptures, and then you can make your own decision about it. But here's what I believe. I agree with Philip. Jesus didn't need to go down into hell to wrestle with the devil. He finished the work on the cross. But you know what he did need to do? He needed to go down into the place of the dead 
And in order to explain this, because he needed to bring up the Old Testament saints that had been waiting, he needed to bring them up. And, and as he was going up to heaven, a train of Old Testament saints, according to scriptures, would have followed behind him. And I believe that that's the way, I believe that's what happened. You can make up your own mind. It says in, in um, it says in, in uh, Psalm 24, here's what it says. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be lifted up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your head, O ye gates, lift up, you everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Fulfillment of Psalm 24. And I believe that Jesus, after his resurrection, that he went down and he he took out, now you, in order to explain this fully that you don't think I'm going a little bit cuckoo, we need to look at a story that Jesus gave in Luke 16. So we're slipping back into this story. Most of you know the story because Jesus gave us a little window into the place of the dead from Luke 16. Because in the story of Luke 16, it tells us about, Jesus tells a story about a rich man and a poor man, a beggar who was called Lazarus. And it tells us that whenever Lazarus went, whenever he died, that he went to Abraham's bosom. And if you read in the margin, if you, have, if you have a Bible that gives any little information, it'll tell you that Abraham's bosom was the same place as paradise or Hades, the place of the dead. And Jesus goes on to tell in this story that, that after the beggar Lazarus died that the rich man that he also died but he didn't go where Lazarus was he went to another place and we're not told the name of it but it's part of Hades because there was actually if you remember the story this was a man who didn't know God this is a man who 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 went to Hades and instead of being comforted as he waited for the return of Jesus instead of being comforted in Abraham's bosom this man was tormented and you most of you know the story there was a definite communication between the rich man and Lazarus one was in one place and Jesus actually said that between those two places there was a great gulf fixed you couldn't break between them and yet they could communicate. It seems that the place of the dead, Hades, in the Old Testament, was a place where Old Testament saints went to, and those who loved God and knew God went to be with Abraham, went to paradise, but those who didn't went to the other place where the gulf was fixed between the two. And that's really important, because I believe when Jesus went down to get those Old Testament saints, he went down to the paradise part. He went down to the part where all those saints were waiting. And he, he, he came down. And can you imagine the entry into paradise? Remember on the cross, what did he say to the cross, to the thief that repented and turned to him? Today, not tomorrow, not next week. Today, you will be with me in paradise. He was go can you imagine the thrill as, he, as Jesus resurrected, fulfilled the mission, accomplished can you imagine him bursting into this place and Abraham and all those Old Testament saints, David and Samuel and all, all, all of a sudden, can you imagine the cheer that went up? The Saviour had come, the Passover lamb had come to set them free, to take them out, to bring them up and into heaven, into the promised land. What an amazing picture. 
I believe God wants us to grasp it. But here's the bit. It, as Philip said on Sunday morning, it gets better. <laughs> because, you know what I believe? And again, throw this out if you don't agree with it. I believe that as Jesus was leading that train up to heaven, that he heard a woman weeping in the garden. I believe he, he heard Mary's cry. And he stopped midway. And, and I remember hearing uh, Bill Johnston from Bethel saying this. It's almost like he said, would you guys hang around here for a few minutes? Minutes. I have to go and see. I've got to, te- I've got to go to attend to somebody here. And he goes to Mary and he says, Mary, don't be clinging on to me for I haven't yet made it up. But it's almost like he's saying, I have to come to you because I knew you needed me. You know, we need to understand he's a saviour that comes when we need him. He's a saviour who bursts through whenever we need him to burst through. He's faithful. He loves you. So he bursts through for Mary and he attends to her and he, he reassures her. And he does two things. Not only, not only does he, does he show her his love and reassure her that it's all right, that he really is alive and she's going to be okay. Not only does he do that, but he gives her a commission. He gives her a purpose. He says, you go and you tell my brethren. Well, dare anybody say that women aren't supposed to go and speak. <laughs> she was the first person that Jesus sent, and she was a woman. Yes. The first apostle. That means sent. He sent her. I tell you. <laughs> what a way to go. What a saviour. I just believe today that we need to just stop and thank him and praise him. Because you know what? He loves you and he loves me. He's given himself for us. And he wants us to really enjoy knowing him. He wants us to really enjoy giving him our best. Because there's no enjoyment like giving God all you have. There's no fulfillment like saying, Lord, here, have it all. It's all yours. There's no fulfillment to being sent by the Saviour. And listen, his commission is on every single one of you women. There's a call on every single one of your lives. And I can tell you now that the enemy does not want you to fulfill that call. But you know what? In the power of the resurrected Christ, who can stop you? In the power of the risen Christ, who can stop you doing what God's calling you to do? I think we need to grasp that by faith. We need to call forth those things that are not as though they were because there's things that have yet to be done in your lives. And we want to encourage you and if possible, push you out of the nest. I forgot to get Marion up here to share this morning. I'm kicking myself. As I was reading the scriptures, Marion's been kicked out of the nest. Well, she went, she went actually, she jumped herself. But she's doing a great work down in Monaghan. And we're so blessed to have Marion here. But you know what? Every single one of you has stuff to do in your own churches and beyond. And you have people that you need to talk to and speak into their lives. God wants us to rise up with wings as eagles. He wants us to fulfill the commission. He wants us to pray them. What else could we sing this morning but Keith Getty's Power in the Cross? What else could we sing? We're going to stand now. We're going to stand. We're going to sing this song in Jesus' name.
they need to remember that we're walking in victory. You know, over the past few weeks here, we have felt a sense of something pushing against us. I have felt it personally, but you know what? I believe there's been breakthrough. And I believe that we can declare that Jesus Christ is Lord. Over this place, we declare that nothing can come against him. We declare he's won the victory on the cross, and Satan is crushed under his feet. And so we just stand today, and we want to thank you, Father, that you are our God. Thank you that you're our Saviour. Thank you that you love us. Lord, I pray that you'll minister this word and encourage and speak as you want to speak to every individual lady, that you would speak your encouragement, that you would speak, Lord, deep into their hearts to know that you too, are, that you're sending them too, that you have a call in their lives to go and tell. Lord, I pray that you would encourage every woman that you hear and you respond to every cry. And God, that you're right there with them today. Lord, we praise you and thank you for today. We pray that the enemy will not be able to snatch it away. And we thank you, Lord, you'll seal it right into the hearts of every woman, Lord. We might go out of here worshipping you, glorifying you, Lord, and walking in the freedom that you died to give us. In Jesus' name. Amen.